Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Hello, everybody. Hi. Recording live from somewhere. What's good, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brandon Rewicki. You can follow me on Twitter at Brandon underscore Rewicki or follow the podcast at Skates Plates Pod. Well, I'm going to say that I'm pretty sure I speak on behalf of Jets Nation here when I say see you in hell to the week that was here in Winnipeg. Man, has it been a rough go of late. I, I mean, let's just stick with the hockey here, but Ehlers and Lowry still injured. Those two watching with the rest of us as the losing streak has now reached five games in a row after the 3-1 defeat to Edmonton back on Wednesday. We're going to break that one down for you guys here and get ready for the week ahead, which starts with a matchup back out on the road, which might be good for the Jets on Friday night. Then later on, we're diving back into the vault to grab in another food interview for you guys. One of the best chefs in the country joined me a while back, so we'll check in with Mandel Hitzer from Deer and Almond to chat about one of the best spots in all of Canada. Deer and Almond, by the way, has also been in the news locally because the sous chef at DNA, Emily Butcher, is competing on Top Chef Canada. We're two episodes into this season. Emily is still going strong, which is great. I'll make sure to keep you guys updated with the season as we uh, move along here. But I'll speak again for everybody. We're all here cheering for you, Emily. So go kick some ass and bring the belt home. Bring the Top Chef Canada title where it belongs right here in Winnipeg. Uh, Back to the Jets now. Just the one game since we last met. And it ended the same way they all seem to against Edmonton this season. Connor McDavid has a three-point night and a dub for the Oilers. Rinse and repeat. It's it's basically been that (laughs) the entire season series against Edmonton. You know, I'll, I'll be a little bit fair to the Jets here, though. To me, what that game felt like, I mean, first and foremost, it was just an improvement, right? After the debacle... The game was Monday night against Edmonton. You had to assume it could only go up from there. And it did for the Jets. So let's give a little bit of credit there that the Jets were, you know, pretty solid and maybe deserving of a slightly better fate. You know, maybe could have grabbed at least a point and and sent it to extra time there. But I'll tell you what that game felt like to me, at least. Now, I could totally be making this up, 
and I don't really have any evidence to back up my claim, uh, but to me, the anatomy of a losing streak, it, it kind of follows a few different uh, paths. And as you get further along in the losing streak, I like to think things end a certain way. So the way I usually see it is, and this applies to any non-Buffalo Sabres team, by the way, um, <laughs> but when you get close to the end of a losing streak for a normal team, you usually have the one embarrassment of a game, the, the performance that the fans are disgusted, they want a coach fired, they want a new GM, a player traded, the players are pissed off, somebody usually gives some kind of a you know, a, a juicy soundbite on top of it all. That game usually happens as, as you start to wind down and, and close out the losing streak. And we saw that happen on Monday night. So there's kind of check one. But what usually happens for me after that game is, you know, even though the team is pissed off and saying all the right things, another loss usually follows. But that loss is usually one where the fans kind of feel a little bit better about the team's performance. They're close, and you can make the case they deserve better, but they still earn the loss. That, to me, is what happened Wednesday night, and that, to me, is the final loss of a losing streak. I, I could be totally wrong. I could be way off base here, but that's what I see it as. I think the Jets are going to get back into the win column on Friday night against Montreal. Because the Jets really, I mean, look, their process hasn't been strong all season long. And, and that goes back to when they were winning a lot of hockey games. They've been basically results-oriented for a long time now. But I thought the process was pretty damn solid in that game Wednesday against Edmonton. I mean, defensively, they were miles better. Much more composed. I mean, you would hope so after how disjointed they looked the other night. Uh, but it was definitely a step in the right direction when it came to how they played inside their own end. And, and they even did that, you know, going with the exact same lineup that got pasted the night before against Edmonton, which I I disagreed with at the time, and I still disagree with moving forward. It, it's just crazy to me that Morrissey DeMello still isn't getting a look at this team's top defensive pairing. But, I mean, there, there weren't any concerns. There were very few breakdowns. I, I mean, hey, let's face it. The Jets didn't give up a 5-on-5 goal in the game. That's a major, major win from where this team has been at in the past. You know, and, and Edmonton's power play has been ridiculous all season long. And you give the best player in the world a chance on that. And, you know, it's no surprise Edmonton made the Jets pay in that regard. So if we're looking for positives here at a five-game losing streak, that was something that stood out to me is I feel like that was the final loss here. It's it. We're done with. We're going to get a big win Friday night against Montreal. Now, the negative here, and, and this is something, you know, people may have expected with the recent news, but it's not in this team's DNA, but it's a problem right now. And it quite simply is the Winnipeg Jets can't score any goals. <laughs> they scored six goals in this five-game losing streak, doing so against, I mean, the Leafs and the Oilers, while they are the top of the division right now, one and two, they're not necessarily known as defensive world beaters, right? And you would hope that the Jets would be able to generate a, a decent amount more offense, and, and they just haven't been able to find a way to do so. Now, hey, I'll fully agree. Nick Ehlers being out the last couple of games, that ruins it. <laughs> I, I mean, he's so dynamic, and they really, really miss, I mean, not only what he does in the fun zone, 
but his ability to carry the puck up the ice. There really is nobody on this team that comes close to that. And, and even Adam Lowry, too, to an extent, right? Like, just his impact in the lineup is going to hurt the team at both ends of the ice. So, look, the Jets are definitely behind the eight ball on the injury front right now in, in terms of offense. But there are some, you know, more structural issues as to why this team isn't scoring right now. The biggest one to me, and, and this is something that's kind of bothered me all season long, and it's, if, if anything, been amplified as we get closer to the end of the regular season, and that's that the Jets don't really generate a whole lot from their back end, right? I mean, look, you, you can ask for more out of Shafley and Connor and Wheeler and, and all those guys, Dubois, Stasny, right? I mean, they get paid a lot of money, and, and it's fair to expect it out of them. But over the course of a season... Your top guns are going to cool off for a decent stretch. And and that's where you need the depth pieces to jump in and provide a bit of offense during that time. Winnipeg's blue line gives them basically nothing. I mean, Neil Pionk is, I believe, 20th in defenseman scoring in the NHL. He's not the problem whatsoever. I mean, maybe the, the, the lone bright spot on the back end for the Jets this year. So please exclude him from uh, from this conversation here. Hey, you know what? I will say this too. Josh Morrissey's game has taken a, a bit of a positive upturn as of late. He's starting to look a little bit better. But, you know, outside of those two, Tucker Pullman has a couple of points this season. Derek Forbert, after a strong start, has completely, completely derailed. And I think it's fair to say if he's ever going to get back to where he was early on in the campaign for the Jets, Dylan DeMello is great, but he hasn't scored yet as a Winnipeg Jet, let alone this season. And then you have Jordy Ben, Logan Stanley, you know, guys that aren't necessarily you're counting on to provide some offense there. So, I mean, there's no way, unless Vili Hainala gets into the lineup regularly, that the Jets are going to be able to provide a ton of offense from their back end. This is the personnel they have. This is the bed that they've made for themselves, and and they're going to have to sleep in it. You just hope it's a bed and, and not a coffin come playoff time. So that's been a big part on, I think, why the Jets are struggling to score. And on top of that, I mean, they've had difficulties all season long in moving the puck out of their end and, and transitioning from defense to offense. Again, that's just not going to change, right? Like, they are who they are at this point. And it's unfortunate because, you know, just a few seasons ago, you could make the case that Winnipeg had maybe the most explosive offensive group of defensemen in the entire NHL. And it's just gone all the way to the other end of the spectrum in a pretty short amount of time. The other part, though, structurally at least, is that, yeah, the fourth line, and you're not going to rely on the fourth line, I get that, but the fourth line's giving you nothing offensively. I mean, Nate Thompson, for years now, has proven that, you know, he's not going to, there's not going to be a lot of goals scored when he's on the ice, for and against, which isn't bad, but... When you're a team struggling for goals, that doesn't help your cause whatsoever. And, and Trevor Lewis is, is kind of in the same mold. Jansen Harkins is pointless this year. Christian Veselainen, although he, he was really, really impactful in a physical manner in that game Wednesday against Edmonton, I think he's just got one point in his 10 games this season. Right? Like when, you're, when your bottom four or five players in the lineup aren't producing anything at all, it only exacerbates the need for your top guns to perform nightly and a consistent basis. And when they don't, you know, you, you're kind of getting what you're seeing right now. Yeah, so like I said, 
Obviously, not scoring goals is not conducive to winning hockey games and is generally a, a negative thing in the sport. <laughs> but there have been some positives as of late up front for me. Uh, first, Shifley Cop Appleton. I, I, you know, I said it back on Tuesday's episode that this is something that I think could work potentially long term for the Winnipeg Jets. And I've liked the way they look so far. I mean, you know, Andrew Kopp was the only one to get the offense going Wednesday with some great work down low. His tremendous, tremendous season just continues for him. But I thought they were consistently Winnipeg's most dangerous line, most dangerous trio. And I think there's something there as we close out the regular season. Hopefully when Nikolai Ehlers comes back, he can provide a a, a different element on a separate line. But I think Shifley, Kopp, and Appleton have been pretty damn good so far in the brief time they've spent together. The other positive for me, and while the, the points haven't necessarily followed him as of yet, is that I think very, very slowly we're starting to see PLD make a bit of an impact here. The most noticeable thing for me in his game, and, and why I think he's due for a bit of a breakout soon, is that he is just so engaged physically right now. I mean, that Toronto series, he was all over the ice. I, I mean, sure, he hit Austin Matthews about a minute after he got rid of the puck, but it was it was plays like that. You know, a lot of them were more of the legal variety where he was clearly a pain in the ass to play against. And I think that continued in the uh, back-to-back set against Edmonton where just noticeably physical each time he steps out onto the ice. And I think he's moving his feet more. He's started to get up the ice quicker. It, it just feels like the clock is ticking before we start to see the Pierre-Luc Dubois that was ripping up the the Maple Leafs and the Lightning for the Blue Jackets in their playoff run last year. I, I think he's getting close here. And that's exciting for Winnipeg Jets fans because we, you know, basically 40 games into his career here, we have not seen the best of Pierre-Luc Dubois just yet at a Winnipeg Jets jersey. Now, one Edmonton note I want to get to first here before we close things out on you know, maybe the most positive note I could muster for you guys this week here in Winnipeg. Uh, but I was talking with my buddy Ross, who listens all the time. Shout out, Rossi. How's it going, buddy? Uh, and he brought up something that was kind of interesting. I hadn't really thought of it. He's a uh, an Oilers fan, so he just shot me a text the other day. But he said that as of right now, there is nobody in the entire sports world who is as good at their sport as Connor McDavid is right now at hockey. And as outlandish as some of Rossi's statements usually are, I, I you know, I immediately kind of wanted to clap back at him, but I gave it some thought and I'm like, you know what? You're probably right. Like what we're seeing from Connor McDavid this season is I mean, legendary is the only thing that I can kind of throw out there that makes any sense. Because he is just jaw-dropping every single night. I mean, I I saw this point made earlier in the season that we arguably have never seen hockey played at this high of a level in the history of the sport than what we're seeing from Connor McDavid right now. Obviously, with the advancements in, in technology and training and whatnot. I mean, he's just operating... At, at a pace that was, I mean, unthinkable even 10, 15 years ago, let alone 20, 30 years ago. But I think with what Connor McDavid's doing this season, he's put himself in this rarefied air. And if you're going to compare him, you know, across 
North American sports here, to me, the only comparison and, and the only person that could maybe have a stake to best at their sport right now is Patrick Mahomes with Kansas City. Other than that, I, I don't know. I think I think it's a legitimate argument that Connor McDavid is the best at his craft compared to anybody else on the planet right now. I mean I mean Fernando Tatis might be the baseball equivalent of of the electricity that McDavid provides. But you could make a case that, you know, the the Mike Trouts and and the Jacob DeGroms and, and some of the other players in the bigs are as good as Tatis or maybe even better right now. There really is like McDavid and Mahomes stand apart from the rest as to nobody's really touching them right now. And and from a hockey perspective, that's just insanity because I mean, if we're gonna keep it to just forwards, Nathan McKinnon is Nathan McKinnon isn't real, right? Like think at how high of a level he's operated at right now for maybe the best team in hockey. Yet he's not even close to what Connor McDavid's doing. So it really is, you know, it, it's tough to, you know, we're breaking down the past two games against Edmonton and even the season series in general. And people are are getting on the Jets for losing these games. But at the same time, you know, Connor McDavid is basically the reason, the only reason why the why the Winnipeg Jets can't grab the two points consistently against Edmonton, right? Especially these last two. I mean, McDavid has all three points in a 3-1 win. The night before that, Connor McDavid embarrasses everybody, right? And yeah, you don't want to give, like Blake Wheeler said, maybe you don't give Connor McDavid four breakaways in a game. Not the best strategy in the world. But at the same time, when you when you watch him out there, it's like, what are you supposed to do? He's faster, he's quicker, he's smarter. His shot's outstanding, even though he doesn't use it all that much. Nobody is is better at passing, arguably, than Connor McDavid is. His hands are the best in the league, right? Like you go on and on and on. And I, I think I just think sometimes we as fans of of an opposing team when Connor McDavid is is in the building, like just enjoy greatness, right? You know, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, how do the Winnipeg Jets stop this? Or or why aren't they finding a way to slow him down? Why is McDavid killing the Jets all the time? It's because he's a legend. It's because he's a god, right? <laughs> I mean, I get Jets fans being upset and, and maybe having some some post-traumatic stress kicking in going back to the 80s and, y'all, great, this is Gretzky and, and the Smite Division days all over again. I, I totally understand that. But we should appreciate that we are witnessing history in the making with the season McDaddy is is throwing out there right now. I think I saw on Twitter somebody said it's like the the seventh or eighth best season adjusted for era in NHL history, only behind a couple from Gretzky and Lemieux. I mean, I I would put McDavid's up against anybody's when you take into account the advancements in goaltending from this age back to when Mario and Wayne played. I'd stack it up against any of those, uh, but that's a debate for a different day. Either way. The other thing I want to say quickly about Connor McDavid is that if he doesn't win the Hart Trophy by a unanimous vote, then the people that are voting, I'm, I'm sorry, just you, you don't get hockey. You're just trying too hard to think of a reason to vote against him. He's the best player in the NHL, having one of the best seasons the league has ever seen. Don't overthink it. Just give him the damn trophy. 
But that's enough on McDavid. I think Jets fans are are sick and tired of watching and hearing about him uh, for, for a decent amount of time here before we head to the playoffs, at least. So I do want to get to the brightest note here in Winnipeg over the past week or so, and, and something I think all Jets fans can agree on that they'd much rather hear about this. We'll get to that in just a second here. But quickly, hockey season winding down, basketball season doing the same. It's not going to be here forever. So you got to get in on the action now with DraftKings, the leader in one-day fantasy sports. DraftKings is giving you or any new player out there a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes when you use code THPN during sign-up. Playing daily fantasy basketball is super simple. You pick your lineup, you stay under the salary cap, check out how your team stacks up against the competition. Baseball fans, even if you miss out on season-long fantasy, now's the time to get in on the daily fantasy action. DraftKings has even more ways to make it rain for you on the diamond, on the court, and don't forget to, on the ice as well, DraftKings has NHL action ready to hook up for you. And with DraftKings, payday comes every day for players, so there really is no reason for you to wait. Just download the DraftKings app now and use code THPN during sign-up. This week, DraftKings is putting you in the action with a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes. That's code THPN, and you can get a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes only at DraftKings. Minimum $5 deposit required. Eligibility restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com for details. Now the positive, the biggest positive here in the city of Winnipeg and for Jets fans this past week for me, and very interesting that it comes on the heels of the NFL draft last night, it's the Winnipeg Jets' most recent first-round pick. Cole Perfetti is freaking killing it in the AHL as an 18-slash-19-year-old. Somebody that is coming in right after they were drafted in their rookie season. Eight points, or sorry, 13 points in his last eight games for the kid. Just had a seven-game point streak snapped, but still racking up 13 points in his last eight games. He's now fourth in the AHL in rookie scoring. Also outproducing second overall pick, Quinton Byfield, who's having a pretty good season for uh, the Ontario Reign. But Cole Perfetti's having a slightly better one right now with the Moose. I, it just—it feels like every time I'm on Twitter and I catch a Moose highlight, it involves, as of late, Cole Perfetti dangling his way through the opposition, throwing a cross-seam pass on the power play, you know, finding a way to score a highlight real goal. He's just everywhere. And my God, could you imagine if this kid was in the OHL all season long? And there, I mean, if there was an OHL season. But just the damage he would do in the juniors, it's just crazy what he's able to do so young in the AHL, which is not an easy league to play in for a lot of rookies, let alone somebody of his age and stature. You just, you can't help but get excited going into next year for sure, no doubt about it. It just, it seems like it's set in stone that he's going to be too good to the point where you just, you have to find a spot for him. Uh, as, as one of the Winnipeg Jets' best 12 forwards on opening night. But, I mean, if he keeps playing at this pace, and if the Jets are struggling to score, I, you do wonder if maybe at the end of the season here, end of the regular season, you get, you, you throw the kid a bone right, and, and he makes his NHL debut in the final game there. 
Uh, but it's it's something to keep an eye on, right? And, and maybe if more injuries start to come Winnipeg's way, it, it's just something I think we should not totally throw out the window as a, as an impossibility this season just yet. But I, I thought Jets fans would like to hear that, that Cole Perfetti is absolutely killing it with the Moose right now. And it looks like that pick, the 10th overall selection in last year's draft, is going to be paying dividends sooner rather than later. But that does it for the hockey portion of the podcast here to close out your week on a Friday. Let's head right over to the food side. And, and like we mentioned earlier, diving into the interview vault and, and super happy to pass this one along to you guys in case you missed it earlier on in our first season here on the Hockey Podcast Network. But food royalty when it comes to the city of Winnipeg, the king might just be Mr. Mandel Hitzer. He's the executive chef at Deer and Almond. He's the mastermind as well of Raw Almond, which has taken place the past few years. That, that great setup on the ice in the elements here in Winnipeg. He's also done some great work in, in Japan. And, and Mandel's a huge, huge believer of Manitoban cuisine. He's just he's a great ambassador for the city, for the province, and everything that you know Manitoba can provide food-wise. To the rest of the world. Mandel is, is a great speaker on that. And so it was an absolute blast. And a total honor getting to talk with him a few months back. So please enjoy. And, and here it is. The executive chef from Deer and Almond. Mandel Hitzer. So Deer and Almond. It's, it's been almost 10 years now. That you've been open there. Is that right? Yeah. We actually. During the first lockdown of COVID in April. We, we celebrated our 8th birthday. I didn't really put anything online like I normally would. Uh, typically, uh, a birthday at the restaurant, I, um, you know, flutter guests with champagne. And, uh, <laughs> you know, I don't really tell anybody, but it is an event for us. Um, you know, a lot of the people that have worked at the restaurant, have people that have worked there um, the entire course of the years. Um, a lot of my staff in the kitchen have been with me for, you know, some four or five, six years. So, um we, we didn't have our birthday this year, and that's okay. <laughs> um, hopefully, if all goes planned, we'll be able to celebrate it next year. <laughs> I mean, how crazy is that? When you first opened, like, what was the plan originally? And then I guess just how have you evolved over the past nine years to where you guys are at right now? Um, well, it was, it was in, like I said, it's been an incredible journey. Um, I, I took on the restaurant just after my 30th birthday, and... Um, I had no idea what I was doing or what I was getting myself into. I didn't have a playbook. I've never been, uh, you know, an, an entrepreneur or anything like that. And, um, but you know, it was, it was like a lifelong dream and goal. Um, I remember telling my parents when I was a teenager that, uh, you know, I, I wanted to become a chef and, and own my own restaurant one day. Um, so I feel really grateful at a young age. I knew exactly what I wanted to do and, um, you know, just, Hard work and dedication uh, uh, kind of brought me to where I am today. So how would you explain the menu that you have up right now at Deer and Almond? Uh, right now, it's actually, for me, it's been pretty incredible. Uh, COVID has taught us, you know, so many lessons. Um, but for me personally, I've spent more time at home with family and friends. I cook a lot for myself. Typically at the restaurant, I'm cooking for guests and I try components, but it's day in, day out. We don't eat the food that we cook at Deer and Almond. We eat kind of like really simple. And 
so during COVID, I've, I've actually like going into my like old tickle trunk and <laughs> over the years I've been cooking for 24 years, you know, I started cooking at a Mediterranean Italian restaurant. So there's a lot of influence there. Uh, the first serious chef that I work under, under was Makoto Ono, his dad owned mm-hmm. Edo High. So, you know, Japanese background with French uh, influence in cooking. So, um, you know, the menu at Dear Norman is very eclectic. It's kind of like cuisine from my favorite dishes from all around the world. Um, so we're kind of doing an homage to that. There's like some dim sum favorites. There's some Japanese. There's some Italian. But it's kind of something for everybody. Um, that's, that's basically the, the style of food that we're cooking right now. Now, I know you have a lot of international influences in your menu, uh, but there's also a lot of, and, and maybe more than anything else, a, a whole bunch of Manitoba thrown in there as well. And I believe you've talked yeah. all over the world about, you know, the Manitoba culinary scene and, and what the province has to offer when it comes to food, correct? Yeah, yeah. And that was another component that we brought in, um, especially at the, in September to harvest season. And um, having the summer off, I was able to, you know, I, I'm an avid forager. I spend a lot of time in the forest collecting, you know, berries and, and mushrooms. And uh, I work really close with a local gardening legend, uh, this girl, my, well, my friend Tiffany. And so her and I, you know, spend a lot of time out in the forest together. She teaches me about uh, regional ingredients, and I try my best to incorporate that into the restaurant because I don't think a lot of restaurants on, like, especially a commercial scale, really showcase Manitoba ingredients. Um, you know, we always like having, whether it be gold eye or whitefish, pickerel on the menu, wild rice, um, local berries, mushrooms. It's, it's really important to me. What's your favorite Manitoba ingredient to work with? You know, honestly, like, it's a tough one because there's so many. But I really, I really love, like, I really love pickerel. I really love mm-hmm. chanterelles. Ooh. Like, Chanterelle hunting for me is like... And you could find really, that in Manitoba? Yeah, a lot. It's, it's a really sacred space for me. You know, <laughs> I really, really, really... It's like my medicine, you know? <laughs> That's awesome. Now, I believe you just changed your menu a week or two. Like, How often is your menu changing? Um, you know, there, sometimes things come and go on a weekly basis. We have our staples. Like, there's some dishes that... Um, I can't really get away from, you know, if you've ever eaten at the restaurant, had our baby potatoes or uh, our semi-fredo dessert. Um, I can't really get away from that. But, um, you know, every week or two, we kind of reassess what we're doing. And um, we're constantly being inspired by, um, you know, local purveyors that are like, hey, this is what I have right now. Do you want to take a go at that? Or, you know, whether I'm looking on Instagram or searching on the web, uh, I might shift gears. Often I get a lot of inspiration from family and friends. Um, you know, often my girlfriend will be talking or her friends will be talking about like a dinner they had and, and it will be like, Oh wow. I haven't thought about that for a while. Maybe I'll try that out. So, um, I just try to listen to what people love and, you know, at the end of the day, try to give them that. What would you consider the most popular item on your menu right now? Well, it's a tough one. Um, we're doing a really amazing pickerel dish on wild rice. And when people call the restaurant and they ask for suggestions, I, I typically do try to push it a little bit because it's, it's so simple. It's literally like three ingredients. 
but they just go together so well, and you feel so healthy eating it. It's very clean. So for me, that's like kind of like one of my more popular dishes right now. Are you? Do you ever get nervous cooking dishes like that or like Italian, where, like you mentioned, just a, a handful of ingredients, but it basically you need flawless execution to make it happen? Um, sometimes, you know, I think, I think like I can say this for a lot of chefs out there or even home cooks. Sometimes the hardest dishes to do are the simplest. You know, like a good example is scallop. If you take a scallop and you pan fry it with a little bit of butter and it turns brown, and then you squirt it with a little bit of lemon juice, salt, and pepper, there's almost nothing better than that. (laughs) You know, it's very simple and clean. Um, So it's sometimes easy to get carried away with ingredients or adding more. Mm -hmm. I think that's why I kind of gravitate towards uh, cuisines like Italian, where it's just the ingredients speaking for themselves. You know, like who doesn't like a a proper uh, meatball and tomato sauce on fresh pasta, you know? Well, I oh, 100%, and I'm glad you brought up fresh pasta because I believe you and me are on the same wavelength uh, when it comes to pasta. Like, noodles is your favorite your favorite food, your favorite dish, correct? Yeah, I'm a big fan of noodles, yeah. So I, I thought I read in an article that you called fresh homemade pasta a life giver. I don't, I don't know what that means, but I agree with you. But can you explain what well, that means? Well, it's, it's a life giver because it's something that's very honest and very simple and accessible for a lot of people. To make a noodle, you just need flour and water. In Winnipeg, they, you know, there's, the struggle's real. And, and so, like, you know, if you're feeding a large group of people, uh, whether it be a friend or family, um, just really basic ingredients like flour and water can, you know, provide a meal for you. You have a couple of fried chicken items on the menu, one in a sandwich and then one as a main What's yep. it to you? What goes into making the perfect fried chicken? Because I know a lot of people love to eat it, but they probably can't make it very good. Well, uh, you know, brine. You got to brine your chicken. That's the secret. Um, so 2% uh, salt or sometimes 2 to 4% salt uh, to water ratio. Um, my my secret is I, I use baking soda. Um, I, I put like a mm. tablespoon of baking soda and a couple quarts of water, put my chicken in there, set a 15-minute timer. And uh, take your chicken out and, um, you know, buttermilk, flour, seasonings, and you're off to the races. All right, good stuff. Moving over to the sides, I was really intrigued. And all your options sound tremendous, by the way. I believe they're all veggie-based, vegetarian. Can you maybe just explain your process into making a memorable veggie dish? Yeah, of course. I mean, like, I think as I get older... You know, I'm 38 years old, um, and, and don't get me wrong, I'm a, I'm an absolute glutton. I could live on pizza, ramen noodles, <laughs> and cheeseburgers every day of the week. Um, but as I get older, I've been, like, using vegetables the same. I treat it the same way I treat a piece of meat. So good example is, like, a nice steak, um, you know, seasoning the vegetables, you know, like grilled cabbage, grilled carrots, slowly roasting vegetables on, on an open flame. Um, or roasting in the oven for a very long period of time. It actually takes longer to cook a perfect carrot than it does a perfect steak. So for us at the restaurant, we take a lot of pride and joy in working with vegetables. You know, me being, I'm kind of, I love living a bachelor life. Like I said, 
<laughs> calling up pizza. Like, if I was on my own, I'd just eat pizza every day. But, you know, I got to find sneaky ways to get vegetables into my diet. That's all. You know what? It's funny you mentioned that because I actually had ramen for breakfast today. So, you don't, you don't have to convince me about... I, I try to eat healthy, but like every now and again, sometimes you just need some noodles before it's 8 a.m. Yeah, exactly, right? Now, my wife would kill me if I didn't ask you this, yeah. um, but she's a huge, huge Ed Sheeran fan. What was that experience like when, for those that don't know, Ed Sheeran stopped by Deer and Almond and then raved to the world about, wow, what an amazing meal I had in Winnipeg? Yeah, that completely, like, I don't know if you've ever seen the video, but Ace Burpee. Yeah. Oh, I know, Mandel. Um, <laughs> uh, it's kind of crazy. Um, we've had some really unbelievable uh, celebrity experiences. Um, one, it's actually on my Facebook page, on my Mandel Hitzer page. Um, the Bare Naked Ladies did a rap uh, at the MTS Center and brought up the tallest poppy. No. And, almond and got the entire crowd to sing out Deer and Almond. <laughs> And like, and uh, you know, Ed Sheeran. We've had Samuel Jackson. Um, oh, who? Uh, there's the list goes on and on. I got like a wall of fame in the restaurant where we've got people to sign everything. I signed up the wall in the kitchen, but uh, it was pretty. It's pretty crazy. Like, I met Ed Sheeran. Super nice guy. Super down to earth. He was there with his buddies. Um, didn't want to really like talk to any of the people, and uh, I was actually renting a studio space on Albert and I, and I rented out some people to throw a party and I found out Ed Sheeran showed up at the party later on. Oh my kind of, gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Small town Winnipeg. That is so unreal and I, I love the interview too where he's like I put ketchup on everything didn't need ketchup this time I was like there's the stamp of approval. Yeah. Yeah. Like I, unbelievable. That is a huge compliment. Is it nerve wracking at all like cooking for celebs when they come in? You know what? We, we treat everyone the same like I actually have more stress about cooking for my friends and family <laughs> than I do because I know that they're going to be honest with me. Um, you know, over the years, I, I try my best to get out to talk to tables as much as I can when I have the ability. But, like, that's how I learn. That's that's my homework. You know, I I try – we try out things, new things all the time. Sometimes I cook dishes I've never had before. Um just because I, I want to teach myself. And so a lot of the times, uh, you know, my people are close to me. They'll be like, yeah, it was really good, but it needs a little bit of this or it needs a little <laughs> bit of that. Or maybe this didn't work because, you know, we fail a lot. <laughs> That's part of the process, you know. Like, we not everyone has the Midas touch. So we got to, you know, we learn. We learn, and uh, that's who I get nervous cooking for. All right, we're going to wrap it up in a little bit here, Mandel. But first, thanks so much for being so generous with your time. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. I do want to bring this up because I'm a just a diehard fan of the Food Network to go along with TSN. It's like the two channels I watch. But for those that don't know, you are a judge on the panel of Wall of Chefs. <laughs> yes, sir. What's the What's it like being on TV? Um, you know, I I, I think like I could I can speak for a lot of people in in our industry as as chefs there is a little part of you that's like, oh, what if I became a chef on the Food Network or anything? And and it was an incredible experience to live a day in that life. I I was on five episodes, which translates to five days that I spent at CBC headquarters. And um, the amount of work and, and energy that goes into those shows are incredible. 
Um, I think I worked 18, or sorry, 14 hour days and, um, it was an incredible opportunity meeting chefs from all over Canada. Um, I made some really good friends who I talk to all the time. We check in with each other once a week, obviously due to COVID, it's really been, uh, you know, it's really important to check in with your friends and people you care about. Um, but it was an incredible journey. I, I got to, you know, my, I made my parents cry. You know, they're really proud. Oh, um, <laughs> that's so sweet. <laughs> and it's kind of surreal seeing yourself on TV. It's not really for me. I, I prefer staying in, in the kitchen at the restaurant. But uh, it was it was an incredible experience. I'm really stoked to have been able to share that with uh, Christine from Peace Bistro mm-hmm. and uh, put you know some Winnipeg pride out there on the on the Food Network. Yeah, hey, you did a super proud, and and one of the segments for those that don't know the show, you actually were, I I guess, one of the headliners with the three items in my fridge. You were the one of the ones they chose, so that that must have been pretty cool as well. Yeah, yeah, it was a little nerve wracking. <laughs> did it. Since you're familiar with that, I thought I would have a little fun with you and and throw to you three items that are in my fridge, and maybe you oh. can try and come up with a, a dish idea. Okay. Sure. All right, so. I would say the three most popular items in my fridge are mushrooms, mustard, and mint. Whoa, okay. Well, I mean, like, fresh herbs are an amazing garnish on anything. Mustard is a quintessential ingredient in making a lot of savory dishes or vinaigrettes. So I would probably do, I would take some balsamic vinegar and olive oil maybe a little bit of garlic and marinate my mushrooms and roast them. And then I'd make a separate vinaigrette with maybe a little bit of uh, chopped up mint and grainy Dijon and a little bit of lemon juice. And then I would roast those mushrooms and garnish them, mm, let's see, maybe on a piece of toast. Oh, my gosh. And a little bit of fresh cheese and drizzle all that wonderful vinaigrette all over the toast with your balsamic drunk mushrooms. Why not? Dude, I, I we should have just done the whole interview on this. I just throw three ingredients at you and let's see what you come up with. <laughs> can, I, can I tell you a funny story? Yeah. So when they called me, they called me like before the, the shoot and they're like, we need to know three ingredients in your fridge. And I was just waking up for work and like in my fridge. And they're like, yeah, like three ingredients. In your fridge. I'm like, like right now, I'm like, sure. I like, got up, opened the fridge. There was a jar of dill pickles, a bottle of rice vinegar, and a cucumber or something. So I gave them those three ingredients, which they don't really, like, they're all the same kind of thing. Yeah. And uh, so I arrived in Toronto, and they're like, oh, your, your fridge is tomorrow. Like, what kind of uh, dill pickle? Like, I was like, whoa, okay. I didn't know what I was doing. <laughs> Or what it was for, I was just like answering the question truthfully, but uh, we we put together a real fridge for that. Well, I, I, it's funny because I remember your episode, and it was I think it was it was broccoli, chorizo, and blue cheese. Yeah, and I'm I'm usually like semi decent with piecing together like a, a a meal idea, and I I was completely stumped. I had absolutely no idea. Oh, really? Yeah, I think like well, I thought it over a little bit more, and I think maybe I would. I don't know if it would work at all. Maybe you could help me out with this, but like some kind of spicy broccoli and cheese soup. Oh yeah, there you go. Great. I think the blue cheese might be a little tough in there. I know. 
because the soup would make it really boom aromatic. It's pretty strong flavor. So maybe a blue cheese crouton instead. There you go. Love it. it. Awesome. All right, I pulled it off. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me today, my man. Oh, Mandel, thanks so much for joining us. Just one last quick one before you go. We ask all our guests this before they leave. Just want to ask you this. What would be Deard Allman's game day item? Oh, Deard Allman's game day item? You know what? I've, I've been trying to convince my chefs to, to, to put it on the menu, but it's a lot of work. But you know, like, you know, like Thai stuffed chicken wings? Oh, yeah. Right? But like a little different. So I think like something crazy, like our chef Emily did a fundraiser when she went off to compete at gold medal plates last year and she stuffed chicken wings with like a prawn dumpling action. And I had a bite. I was like, this is insane. Like prawns inside a chicken wing, deep fried, incredible. So I think like somewhere along the lines of like a pile of stuffed chicken wings with beer, maybe like, like the craziest, largest selection of dips like ranch hot sauce cheese sauce like relish everything everything you could dip into your wings while you watch the game why not you're speaking my language mandel well hopefully <laughs> hopefully we can come down to deer and almond in person sometime soon and try out the stuffed chicken wing look man thanks so much for taking the time to join us today we loved having you on have a great day man take care all the best so how cool is this? We did that interview, like I said, a few months back. Mandel is a man of his word. He's an absolute beauty. No word of a lie. On his menu right now is the stuffed chicken wing. He did it. It's an add-on option to his current menu, which, by the way, sounds like the best side of all time. So head down to Deer and Almond now to get a sense of what game day tastes like at one of the best spots in the city and the country as well, but that's just the coolest thing in the world. He said he wanted to do it, and lo and behold, he's got a stuffed chicken wing on his menu, so I'm going to have to head down there sooner rather than later to try that bad boy out. But that's going to do it for another episode here of Skates and Plates of the Hockey Podcast Network. Again, I'm your host, Brandon Rewicki. Thank you so, so much for listening. Um, if you don't follow me already on Twitter, hit me up at Brandon underscore Rewicki or at Skates Plates Pod. We're back on Tuesday, two Jets games to get into, one against Montreal, the other against a all-of-a-sudden pesky Senators team. Ottawa's playing some pretty good hockey as of late, so it's not the free spot on the bingo card that it was in the past. So Winnipeg, you know, hopefully they're not trying to break the losing streak against the Sens because it might be a little trickier than any of us imagined here. Uh, We'll dive into those two games for you guys as well. We'll have another food interview for you to close out next week. And you know what? We may even have a former Winnipeg Jets stop by the podcast. He's known for something that might never be broken in NHL history again. And it has to do with suitcases. So we'll see if you guys can guess that. But if not, find out on our next episode of Skates and Plates on the Hockey Podcast Network. Again, I'm your host, Brandon Rewicki. Peace.